Welcome to the Glasgow Baptist Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Erdie Carter. We want to help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. Well, Merry Christmas. Hey, what? think about it for just a moment. What are, when it comes to Christmas, what are some of the favorite things that you do? Is it to Maybe it's to gather with family like some of you are tonight. Uh, maybe it's to uh, the joy of buying and shopping and getting into that crowd. If that's you, uh, there's an 800 number I'm sure that we could give you to help you. I, you know, when you think of Christmas, there's lots of things that come to mind. For, for people, it's, it's family, it's gathering, uh, it's... I, I know one couple... I won't tell you who they are, but every year when they gather here, they sneak off to the chapel and have a kiss in front of the stained glass. I'm not going to tell you who they are, but it's something they love to do, something they've done since the day they got married. Christmas brings about things for us that challenges us to think about different things. We think of family, and we think of of our Savior. Maybe one of your favorite things is you gather with us on our Christmas Eve service. Tonight, I want us to point our attention to, the, to Jesus in Matthew's gospel. For you see, as we gather together, we celebrate the birth of Jesus. And every year when we do, we, we look at the, one of the birth narratives, typically, not always, And it's interesting in Matthew's gospel tonight, I I just want us to walk through 12 verses and I want us to to see what Christmas as believers should remind us about, should bring joy to our hearts, should challenge us. For we've been talking in our services on Sunday about the, the gifts that Christ gives. But tonight I want to talk about the gift of Christ and our response. So let's look at Matthew's gospel. You'll see the the text on the screen. Chapter 2, the first first verse says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. I think it's interesting as we look at the birth narratives, there are two groups of people who come to worship Jesus. Um, the, the one we, we tend to like the most, and I don't, I don't know if this is for you, but many people like the shepherds. Remember when we said, hark the herald angels sing, we sang that song earlier, because the angels come to a field where shepherds are. We like that imagery. We like the, the thought process that Jesus' birth announcement comes to a group of guys who, let's just be honest, they're not high on, any, on anybody's radar. In fact, if you'd have taken a poll that day, who would get the birth announcements, the shepherds would not have made it. But it's interesting that we see that, but then in Matthew's gospel, we see wise men. Now, we don't find an angel telling them, uh, but we find wise men. And 
And these are unique wise men. I mean, they're Gentiles. In other words, they're not Jews. And, and, and oftentimes we, we think about them and we, we miss just how powerful of a moment this is. For you see, there's a song that, that some sing at Christmas and it's a beautiful song, but it's just theologically wrong. Uh, because the song is, We Three Kings. But there's no kings in the story coming to visit Jesus. And in fact, even if, you're, even if you're a hardcore King James only, you can go back to the 1611 version, which is the Holy Grail for King James people, in that it doesn't say king, uh, uh, kings, it says wise men. But somewhere along the line, way, we decided they were kings, but that's really theologically wrong. And we come to this place where we always say three, but the Bible doesn't tell us. I mean, we didn't read there were three. We just read there were wise men. And we know they bring three gifts. And in our Western culture, we go, well, that means there's three of them. Because listen, if you're going to somebody's house, you typically take, a, each one of you take a gift for somebody. Unless you're grandma, and then she brings everybody a lot of gifts, right? But in our text, we learn it's wise men. And they come, and they see a star. These wise men are different from shepherds because shepherds are lower class. Wise men aren't. They're educated men. They're they're educated in that they follow a star. In other words, they can read the stars. They're educated in, they know the Torah. They know there's one coming. There's one coming who will be king. And so they set off on their journey. Now, when they arrive, we read in verse 3, when King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. I, I, I like that line. It's kind of like at, at home, if mama's not happy, Ain't nobody happy? I mean, has that happened at your house? I mean, in, in Herod's kingdom, if he's not happy, ain't nobody happy. He sees to it. And so these, these men who are, are from another place, they've traveled, they're not Jewish, they're Gentiles, they come. And they say, where is this one born king of the Jews? Interesting. This upsets Herod. And and what we know from church history is Herod is one of these guys that you don't want to upset. If he has a threat, he handles that threat pretty quickly. In in fact, Herod um, had this mindset that He was being threatened by his children and his wife. So he handled it. It No big deal. Had them all killed. No more threat. And so as Herod learns there's this new king possibly born, he becomes upset. And if he can kill his wife and children for fear of them taking over his throne, what do you think he's going to do to a boy? A baby. 
Well, what's interesting again is these two groups. Shepherds, lowest on the low totem pole, but they are Jews. They are at least in the family. And then these wise men, they're Gentiles. They have not, there's nothing to gain. For you see, at this moment, Jews were the chosen, uh, chosen race. At, at this moment, nobody has ever thought that the Messiah would come and save us all. It was just the chosen. But yet they come and they're ready to worship. And when that happens, when Herod hears these news, he's, he's disturbed by it. We follow the story in verse 4. It says, So he assembled all the chief priests and the scribes and all the people asked them, Where is this Messiah would be born? In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him. Because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. Because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Herod secretly summons the wise men and asks them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I may too go and worship him. It's interesting in this moment. Herod hears, hey, we've come to worship this one king of the Jews. What does Herod do? He, he gathers around his posse, his wise people, his, his, his priest, all those who know the Torah, and say, is this true? Could there be such one? And what's interesting is they are able to quote to Herod, Micah 5.2. They quote that verse knowing that there's this one coming and it's coming and he'll come from Bethlehem and he will shepherd the people. Well, again, what's interesting is the religious leaders of those days know the Torah, know what's supposed to happen. And yet they're missing it. They have to be told that it's taking place by a group of Gentiles. And in that day, that would be like, well, that just wouldn't be good. And so they, they hear this news, and Herod's upset. That makes me think, how much in our culture do we miss that God's doing right in front of us? I mean, think about it. God was at work right then. The shepherds had heard the wise men had seen the star. They had traveled, God at work, and yet the religious people who should have been on top of things were left in the dark. What gets in our way that we, we stay in the dark? What causes us to lose our focus or causes us to, to think other things and miss what God has for us. So Herod does what Herod does. 
he wants to find the threat, so he comes and tells them, you go find him, and then you tell me where he is. And let's make no mistake, there's no worship on Herod's part. We know that. We know that's not his plan. In fact, Herod has a plan, but it has nothing to do with worship. Verse 9, we'll finish 9 through 12. After hearing the king, they went their way, and there it was. The star they had seen as it's rising, it led them until they came and stopped above the place where the child was. And when they saw the child, or when they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country another out. Herod lets them leave and so they go, they see the star and they begin to follow. It's interesting that we, we don't really know the time difference between uh, when the shepherds visit the manger and when the wise men visit. We know there's di- a time difference. Uh, we can tell that from a couple of things. Uh, we can tell that because the wise men come to a house, not a manger, and it's, it is spelled out there in the Greek for us. Uh, giving us that, you know, Mary gave birth and put, put the baby in a, a trough and as soon as possible, Joseph would have found a better place for them to stay. And sure enough, that's what's happened. Uh, we know there's another, we get, we get another timetable here from, from Herod because when Herod realizes he's been tricked that the wise men don't come back, he decides he's going to kill all the boys two and under. Because he doesn't know how long he's been born. And so let's just be safe and let's do two and under. And so we know there's a, you know, it's not like we want to kill all the boys born in the month of April. It's two years and under. So, so we know there's time, but we know when the wise men get there, I love that scene, they fall to their knees. Again, remember, these are not Jewish people who've been longing for the Messiah. But yet they recognize a king when they see him. And then those three gifts they give. Gold. Gold is, is certainly a, a gift for a king. It wouldn't have been a gift that you'd have given to every child born. Uh, number one, most families couldn't have afforded that. And so most children at birth would not have gotten a little bit of gold to put away. Um, but recognizing Jesus as royalty... As a king, he's worthy of the finest. So they give him gold. Frankincense is an incense that they use in worship. Uh, it, this, one's, this one's an interesting one for me because, uh, again, it's just not a common, common sense that everybody got because it was used in temple worship. It was, and, and what's interesting about frankincense is, is that it's only used in worship and offerings 
that are not sin offerings. Think about this for a moment. If you read your Old Testament, you know that every Jew was to bring a sin offering. We all sin, right? And so they were to bring a sin offering. Now, depending on the sin, depending on the offering, it could have been a lamb, could have been could have pigeons, it could have been a, a much bigger offering. Frankincense is never used in any one of those offerings. It's only used when sin is not in play. And I got to thinking about that, and I thought, what a perfect gift for Jesus. Because when we think about Jesus, he's sinless. Jesus comes into this world, he's born into this world, lives his life, and is sinless. And so what, a, what an appropriate gift for him. It, it, it represents his perfection as the Son of God. But then we get to the third one, the myrrh. This one, I think, is funny. I, I just, my sense of humor has to think about this because um, myrrh is the, to our day, is giving embalming fluid to, to somebody. I mean, show of hands. Anybody ever get embalming fluid for Christmas? I mean, you might have got gold. Maybe you got something smells good, incense, you know. But embalming fluid? <laughs> Listen, I would say if you get embalming fluid this Christmas, watch and look at everybody in the room. And if it says, we hope you use this soon, go ahead and go home. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't stay. Certainly wouldn't eat. Um, I mean, think about it. A baby is born, and we want to give you embalming fluid. Now, myrrh was a, myrrh was a common thing for, for, for most people. It was one of those things that used. Nicodemus in Jesus' death would use 100 pounds of myrrh for his body. But they, they bring it as a gift at his birth. recognizing what Jesus would do. Oh, I think it's an interesting thought when you think about these three gifts. We see his kingship, we see his perfection, and we see his death. A reminder to us what, who Christ is, that he came as the perfect son, to go to a cross for our sins. And so what's, what's our takeaways tonight? Well, let me, give me three takeaways. First one is, I, I would just remind us all that our status in this world has nothing to do with God's love for us. I mean, it has, our status, whether we're high on a chain or low on a chain, has nothing to do. Jesus came and the angels announced it to shepherds. Wise men of another group, Gentiles, heard. It's not about our status, but about his grace. About his love for you and for me. And I would remind us that no matter where you are, what, what you think, God loves you. Uh, secondly, I'd remind us not to lose focus. Because when we lose focus, we miss out on on God's mission. 
And you think, if you were sitting in that inner room with Herod and his men, and Herod says, is this true? Could there be this one? And you're the one who pipes up and says, well, the prophet says this. When you went home that night, would you go, did I miss something? How come I didn't catch that? How come I'm not aware? Now listen, I don't think any of us in this room want to, uh, we intentionally lose focus on God. But the truth of the matter is we live in a hectic and crazy world. Life gets going faster and faster. And one of the things Satan loves to do is call us to be so busy that we have to put things aside. And oftentimes when we put things aside, we put God to the side. We only pick him up when it's time to go to church. But then really when we're at church, we're thinking, how much longer is he going to go? We're going to get to eat tonight and open presents. Would he hurry? Do we have to sing another song? And all those things are used by Satan to, to cause us to lose focus. And so losing focus on God means we miss out on God's mission. And the third one I would, I would challenge us is more of a question. What's the gift you bring to God? We read these three gifts were given to Christ. What gift do you give to God? To the one who saved you, redeemed you, the one who has a plan for your life. Oh, I, I'm not talking about your offering that you bring, and, and certainly that's a part of your gift to God, but may I remind you that Jesus told us that when he left this world, there would be one he would give us, the Holy Spirit. He would dwell in us, and the Spirit has blessed each one of us with gifts. When we use those gifts to glorify God, it brings honor and glory to him. But are you using those gifts? Are you making much of him? Or worried about making much of what you can get? Christmas is a time to celebrate. We celebrate with family. We celebrate with friends. We celebrate with our church. But let's remember we celebrate a God who loves us unconditionally. Who came as a babe. Who lived a perfect and holy life. And went to a cross for our sins. If you're here tonight and you've never confessed Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Would you just let me for, the, for just a moment. Just remind you how, how you can come to know Christ. Come to know Christ simply by acknowledging that you're a sinner. The Bible tells us, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us in this room are sinners. The only difference is for some in this room, we're sinners saved by grace. So in order for that to happen for you, you come to that moment in your life and you just realize, I'm a sinner and I need saving. And the second step is just to confess that, 
to confess that to God, asking God to forgive you, to confess that to, to someone near you or to me, and just say, I need Jesus. And the third step is just to say, God, I give you my life. I give you all. Save me. If you're here tonight and that is a prayer that you're willing to make at, in just a few moments, I, I'd encourage you to, to, say, to tell somebody to, to see me at the end of the service, to come as we sing here in just a moment, whatever the case may be. But the greatest gift you can receive this Christmas is Jesus Christ. Make no mistake about it. One who loves you unconditionally. Father, today we thank you. We thank you that we have the forgiveness of sins, those in Christ. We thank you that your son came in the form of a baby, lived a perfect life to set example for us, but also to die for us. We thank you for the hope eternal that we have in you. Lord, I pray for each in this room. I pray tonight they would know the eternal love that only comes through knowing you. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Now, for, for many people, myself included, one of the highlights of Christmas is the candlelight service, and it's the moment that we come to. When we remind ourselves of the love of Christ, that he came into a dark world to be light. He came into a dark world that, that he would shine a light. John's gospel is so clear in telling us that Christ is the light. So as we sing this familiar hymn, Silent Night, and we light our candles, may we be reminded of God's love for us.